Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitmiles.com. Thanks for listening. Well, last week, um, we learned about deviled ham. Only a few of you were here, apparently. Um, but actually, uh, yeah, Pastor Dan talked to us about deviled ham. I actually went out and I found some deviled ham this week. And so I wanted to make sure, actually got a spoon and everything. So you and, you and Rhonda can have a mid-service snack if you want. Just deviled ham. That was good. Make sure you pray over it before. That's, that's important. Um, Last week, if you weren't here, uh, we were in Luke chapter 8, and we read the story of the demon-possessed man, that then Jesus casted out this legion of demons into a herd of pigs, deviled hams. All right, so Jesus had left Galilee, he had gotten in a boat, he had sailed across, and he had calmed the storm on the way there, and they landed in the Gerasenes, and so again, Jesus cast out this legion of demons out of a man, this miraculous healing, and when the crowd saw what had happened... So they kicked Jesus out, essentially. They didn't want him there. Rather than choose faith, they chose fear and rejection because what Jesus was bringing was something that was outside of them. It was something that they couldn't control, right? They saw the demon-possessed man in his right mind and dressed, and that was what was uncomfortable to them. I tell you what, that, that, that thought stuck with me all week. I have read that story. I have taught on that story But where in my life am I more comfortable with my sin than I am with not knowing the incredible things that Jesus wants to do if I would simply make room for him? That's an everyday battle in my flesh. I don't know about you, but where am I more comfortable with my ick? Because at least it's familiar to me than I am with what God could do because I don't know what I don't know. How many of us are living just on the other side of personal revival because we refuse to confess and repent what we believe delivers us convenience, but in reality is the very thing stifling the Spirit in our lives. That is not what the thrust of the message is today, but that is what I have been thinking about. Um, I hope that is what you are thinking about. It is where we want to go in the upcoming year, living by the Spirit, seeing authentic demonstrations of the power of God in our lives. But choosing faith, why why do we choose faith? Why should we choose faith? And what does that look like in our lives? We're going to pick up where we left off, actually, in chapter 8 of Luke. We're going to attempt to answer those questions. Why should we choose faith? And what does that faith look like in our lives? So this is just after, where we're going to be reading, this is just after the deviled ham scenario. We're in the middle of a long narrative. Jesus has been traveling town to town, Village to village, he's healing people, he's casting out evil spirits, he's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's in the middle of his ministry, and the word is starting to spread. We're going to pick up the story in verse 40. So if you haven't already, turn to Luke chapter 8. I haven't turned there. I've told you to, and I haven't done it myself. Luke chapter 8, picking up in verse 40. Verse 40. 
Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately, immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Testimony. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. The ESV says, trouble the teacher. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. So when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the, fa- and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat, and her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Jesus, speak to us through your word today. Encourage us. Fill us up with your presence. Send us out with a new appreciation for who you are and your word to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this may be a familiar passage to many of you, but God's word is ever new. It is active, so let's see what we can pick up uh, today. So seemingly two stories happening at once here. Two different life experiences being intertwined, and there's some interesting parallels and contrasts between these stories. But it shouldn't shouldn't surprise us if we look at verse 40, that when Jesus returned, this would be to Galilee where he had been, and then he had traveled across, across the lake, healed the man who was filled with the legion of demons. He's now returned back to the other side of the lake. It shouldn't surprise us that the crowd was waiting for him with expectation. All the miraculous things that he had been doing, the new teachings, they had become fans of Jesus. And right off the bat, here comes Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, no less. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet. The The NIV says that he pleaded with Jesus to come to his house, for he had a daughter who was dying. When was the last time you pleaded with Jesus? Now, this wasn't just any daughter, but this was his only daughter. It's the same wording, the same terminology here as we find in John 3.16, describing Jesus as God's one and only son. This was Jairus' one and only daughter. Moreover, she was 12 years old, and that was significant, a significant time in the Middle East. 
the dawn of womanhood here for this girl. She was beginning to contemplate marriage, perhaps. This should have been an exciting time. Parents of an only child, the pride of new life, now quickly turning towards death. You can feel the desperation in a father on his knees before Jesus, begging him to do something. Obviously, this is happening in front of the crowd. They're witnessing all of this. And as Jesus turned to go, he must have decided to go with them, with Jairus. You can imagine the response of the crowd as they have already heard, they've seen maybe what Jesus has done in the past. So Jairus comes and, come and says, my daughter is dying. Come make a difference. Come heal her. Come save her. And Jesus begins to go with her. As the crowd, wouldn't you want to follow? Everyone wants to see something shiny, to get their glimpse, even if it means getting in the way of what's important. It says the crowds pressed in around Jesus as he went, nearly crushing him, it says. You can rightly assume that this probably slowed everything down. Can you imagine what Jairus was feeling in that moment? In the middle of all of this, all the people touching Jesus on the way, Jairus wanting this to move quickly, and here's this woman subject to bleeding who makes her way through the crowd towards Jesus. And Scripture tells us that this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. This was most likely a gynecological issue which would have made her unclean according to Jewish law. 12 years. How interesting that about the time Jairus' daughter was born, 12 years earlier, this woman's condition started. And it's revealed to us that she has spent everything that she has on doctors and physicians, but has not yet been healed. There has been no reprieve of her pain, physically or emotionally. Surely she has been outcast because of her uncleanliness. For 12 years she has endured this burden. So she makes her way through the crowd. She's attempting to stay hidden. Mark's account of the story actually reveals that she had she had heard some of her thoughts, that she had heard this, about this Jesus, the reports of Jesus, and she thought, if I only touch, if I only touch just the edge of his cloak, I will be healed. So she squeezes her way past, she reaches out, barely touching the edge of his garment, and she's immediately healed. Immediately. Twelve years, a touch of Jesus, and she's healed. She's clean. So that's when Jesus asks, who touched me? To which Peter, God bless him, opens his mouth. He's a bit confused at the silliness of Jesus' question. Jesus, everybody is touching you. What are you talking about? Someone touched me. I felt the power go out of me. I perceived that power went out from me. Now, Jesus wasn't ignorant, right? He's fully God. We have to remember this. He's omniscient. He knows all things. So the implication here is that he's wanting to single her out, to address her, to do some more work. Who touched me? She sees that she can no longer hide, and so she's trembling, it says. She comes and she falls before him, now just like Jairus, and she declares, it says, in front of everyone why she came to him and that she had been instantly, immediately healed. And so Jesus looks at her after calling her out of anonymity, and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you, made you well. Go in peace. It's a great story, isn't it? But wait, <laughs> what about Jairus? 
What about his 12-year-old daughter? Did we forget? Jesus, we're on a time schedule. And it's just then, while they were still speaking, and that part of the story is being wrapped up, and this woman has experienced new life and healing after 12 years, someone arrives and says, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Don't trouble the teacher. Jesus then speaks, and he says to Jairus, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Now it says he's speaking this to Jairus, but it could have also been that Jesus was not just reassuring him, but also the messenger as well. That messenger had just arrived. He hadn't seen what had just happened. And so even though Jairus did see it, even then Jesus was there to calmly encourage them, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. So Jesus arrives at the house and the hired mourners are already there. It's customary practice that they would hire people to come in and weep and mourn. That seems kind of silly to us, but it was communicating the depth of loss for this family. The mourners are already there. They're weeping. And Jesus says, stop weeping. She's only asleep. In which they then laugh at him because they knew that she was dead. Again, here's the uncomfortableness with something they have not yet experienced. So he takes the child by the hand. He says, get up, arise. And the scripture says that her spirit returned and she got up at once, meaning she was dead and Jesus made her alive. Her spirit returned. And the narrative ends with the amazement, obviously, the astonishment of the parents. And then Jesus instructs them to keep quiet about what had happened. This is quite the story. I love seeing these interactions with Jesus and the differing responses of all the parties that were involved here. But I think that we can key in on some simple observations by looking at the actions of these three individuals, the woman, Jairus, and Jesus, to understand why we can choose faith. Why do we choose faith? And then what can that faith look like in our own lives? So as we attempt to answer that first question, we, have, we need to establish a baseline here. Our faith... Jesus is the object of our faith. He is the object of our faith. He is the believer's hope. He is our confidence. As Christians, our faith centers around the person of Jesus Christ. He is the equal member of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, fully God, fully man. That is the object of our faith. Hebrews 1.3 says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. That's the Jesus that is the center of our faith. So looking then at Jesus then in this passage, why then should we choose faith if we focus here on Christ? We can choose faith, faith first here because Jesus has authority and power. Jesus has authority and power. He has authority and power over circumstances. He has authority and power over sickness. He has authority and power over weather across the lake just a few stories ago, over evil, that's the prior story, over life and death itself. Jesus has authority and power. Remember, the woman, she had begun hearing about Jesus. She knew what he could do. And I love the contrast that the gospel writers provide when they lay out this idea of Jesus' authority and power. Essentially, where doctors failed, Jesus effortlessly restored. In fact, in Mark's account, he goes so far as to say she actually got worse in her pursuit of health through human physicians. 
find it not so surprising that Dr. Luke left that part out in his gospel. But regardless, when every bit of human effort failed, Jesus effortlessly restored. Jesus has authority and power. I see this in Jairus' story as well. At the end of our passage, the girl was dead. Everybody knew it. But where others scoffed at something they couldn't know or understand yet, Jesus rightly gave reverence to the power of God. They were just like the crowd who didn't know what to do with with Jesus when the demon-possessed man was in his right mind. He was fully dressed. They didn't know what to do with him, and so they sent him away. And in this story, they laugh at him. What a fool! What is he thinking? She's dead. What's he going to do? And with just a few words, Jesus changes everything. We can choose faith because Jesus has authority and power. Now, sometimes I think that, that this idea, this truth becomes removed from us when we're reading Scripture a little bit. But you know that Jesus is alive, right? You know Jesus is the same Jesus right now as he was when he walked the earth, right? Do you understand that? Do you know that? You know that Jesus still has that same power and authority that he's demonstrating here in this story. He has that today, right? Back to Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Just because Jesus is back in heaven doesn't mean he ain't working. He still has power and authority proved through the resurrection, and he is at work through the power of his spirit for your benefit and his glory. He has power and authority. Christian, church, listen, I think I read these stories sometimes in Scripture. And whether it's because it's familiar to me or if it's just text on a page, we miss sometimes the magnitude of the very real things that happened in history through this man, through this God-man, Jesus Christ. I love history. I love reading and watching documentaries about the Revolutionary War, about the battles, the movements of people, victories and defeats, I love that. And But sometimes, as I'm reading through the Gospels, I realize that my excitement or my reactions are at best on a similar level to reading about the Revolution. Until all of a sudden, it hits me. Hold up, that dude just fed over 5,000 people with a fish and chips meal. That dude just took on a legion of demons and won. That dude just restored a blind man's sight. That dude just gave a a man's legs working, working power. He gave it back to him, the ability to walk. This guy's bringing dead people to life. And sometimes we read these stories and we go, and then he brought the woman back to life, and they were astonished. Yeah, that's cool. Flip the page. Hold up. That Jesus who has authority and power over death itself is your Jesus. That Jesus is your Jesus. He has all power and authority. He did then and he does now. Does that that understanding grip you? You want confidence in choosing faith regardless of what you face? You can have it when that Jesus is your Jesus. Jesus has authority and power. 
It's one of the reasons that we can choose faith. We can also choose faith because Jesus has compassion for those in need. You don't have to be a theology scholar or a biblical scholar to to see a pattern of the heart-heavy care that Jesus offers to those in need. There are endless examples of the passion of the Christ, the people with nowhere to go and no food, the blind man, the crippled beggar, all of Israel without a shepherd. You, O sinner. Jesus has compassion not just because he has to, but because he's gentle and lowly in heart. The heart of Christ is for you. In our passage today, Jesus took time for both of these situations, both of these people, caring for them in in their need. Not only was the woman healed of her physical ailment, but Jesus ministered to her heart, didn't he? He intentionally brings about a moment where he is face to face with this unimportant person, this poor sufferer who was considered unclean by those around her. So in the middle of a fanatic crowd and hurried expectation, Jesus gives her all of his attention and he calls her daughter and affirms her faith. More than her emotional or physical sickness, Jesus knew that she needed healing emotionally and spiritually. She needed to be told who she was and whose she was. Daughter. Do you need to be reminded this morning that that God calls you daughter? That God calls you son? For those of us who have trusted in Christ, you've been welcomed into the family of God. We sang that this morning. Because of what he's done and who he is and his immense love for us, he has brought you into the family of God. You are a son. You are a daughter of Christ. How significant the compassion of Christ for those in need. He bids you to trust him in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the, or your, your hidden embarrassment. Hebrews 4 actually were reminded that Jesus is not simply a far-off religious teacher who really has no context for meeting us in our pain. But verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach, because of that, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why can you confidently choose faith this morning, church? You can choose faith because Jesus is faithful. He is faithful to shower you with compassion and mercy and grace and to remind you who you are because of what he's done. The third reason we can choose faith is simply because Jesus rewards those who trust in him. Scripture tells us that. Jesus rewards those who trust in him. Both of these situations ended in healing after they chose faith. However imperfect their faith may have been, they were healed. Daughter, your faith has made you well, he said. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. Believe, and she will be made well. There are many other examples in Scripture where where authentic faith, however maybe imperfect, elicits a positive response from the Savior. Jesus healed the centurion's servant. 
And he marveled to those around him that he hadn't found such faith in all of Israel. Jesus honored the faith of those who lowered their friend through the roof of a house when there was no other way in. Jesus looked at the thief on a cross right before they died and promised paradise in response to his faith. Jesus rewards those who trust in him. Hebrews 11.6, the author tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We can choose faith because Jesus rewards those who trust in him. All of this, think with me here, isn't all of this displayed in perfection through the death and resurrection of Christ? How can it not be? He proved his power, he proved his love for sinners, and the promise of new life for those who place their trust in him and seek him. That is the good news of the gospel. That is what we are talking about this morning. We can choose faith because Jesus has authority and power over our circumstances, over life and death, because Jesus is compassionate towards those who are in need, us, O oh sinners, and because Jesus rewards those who trust in him. That is the gospel. That's why we can choose faith. But what is it then to look like in our life? If it is impossible to please God without faith, and we now maybe know that that's why we can choose faith, how do we live that out? We know why, but how? I think that last verse, Hebrews 6, begins, Hebrews eleven six 6, begins to clue us in. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what does faith look like? Faith is believing God. You say, well, okay, yeah, that's a given. But notice I didn't say believing in God, but believing God. Now, believing in God is part of our faith, don't get me wrong. But we must believe that He exists and believe that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. We need to know the difference. It is one thing to recognize or affirm the existence of God, a divine being that is supreme and sovereign. It is another thing altogether to believe all that God has said about Himself, that His promises are true, and that He will do what He says. As one preacher put it, that His speaking is His doing. That's what faith looks like. Confident assurance in events not yet seen. And that believing God then moves us towards obedience. Believing God. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but do you see this? Do you see this in the woman, in her confidence? She was so confident in his power and authority that if she only touched him, she would be healed. Do you see this in Jairus? Earnestly seeking, on his knees, pleading with Jesus to follow him, knowing that just the presence of Jesus changes things. I love the, the, the story of Jesus in, in Mark chapter 7, I believe. He's healing a young boy who had been brought to him. He'd been taken over by evil spirits. And his father brings him to Jesus. And he says, if you can do anything, have compassion. Help us. And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. To which the father immediately cries out, I think my favorite line in scripture, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. How many of you need help with your unbelief this morning? Faith is believing God. 
But there's another part that follows that belief. These two believed God, but then they backed it up with movement. Right? Faith is not only believing God, it is responding to God out of that belief. Faith is responding to God. Authentic faith requires movement. It is positive certainty expressed in action. This is my favorite part of the story. This idea here. They both responded in faith, but in completely different ways. And the responses, honestly, were lacking on top of that. Both the woman and Jairus believed Jesus could do it, and they were compelled to action, but the woman was still trying to hide. Did you notice that? She has faith, but she's still trying to hide. She's trying to blend in. She didn't want people to know. Even Jesus, she couldn't even show him her face. The embarrassment of exposure. All she wanted was to get close enough and then slip away. Jairus had the opposite response. Perhaps maybe being driven by fear, Jesus mentioned that to him later, recklessly threw himself before Jesus. We're talking about the leader of the synagogue here, people. And he throws himself on the ground in front of Jesus. No doubt a response like that would have been below his religious dignity, outside of the guidelines of his practiced faith. And his peers definitely wouldn't have approved of it, especially with Jesus. Both responses were perhaps imperfect, but intentionally made in the little faith that they had. And then Jesus honored it. Really, this is the opposite of the messenger from the house, right? The messenger came with news for Jairus, and he says, don't trouble the teacher. I love that phrase, trouble the teacher. Don't trouble the teacher. That's a violation of rule number one. Jesus has authority and power. So yes, he's the one that you want to trouble in situations like this. Remember the woman in the Old Testament who continually knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked until she finally got an answer? Jesus is the teacher that you should continually trouble. Go trouble the teacher because he has authority and power and he has compassion on those who are in need. Notice that the woman was healed before she was exposed and before Jesus addressed her. Did you catch that? She hadn't even come before Jesus yet. He hadn't even spoken to her yet and she was already healed. Many people were touching Jesus that day, but only one got healed. For she had centered everything on Christ. So what does your response to God look like? If faith is a response, how do you need to respond? Does your faith need to be strengthened? Our faith instinctively strengthens in direct proportion to the object of our faith. So if you grow the object of your faith, or rather you come to a better understanding of what the object of your faith is, and that grows, your faith in that object will grow as well. So as you become more aware of the magnitude of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the holiness of Christ, your faith will obediently follow. So what do you need to grow your understanding of the person of Christ this morning? He is the object of our faith. Is it worship? Is it silence? Is it falling on your knees in prayer? Is it walking across the room and starting a conversation? Is it recounting his promises laid out for you in Scripture? Is it building guardrails in your life where you don't have them? Or is it immersing yourself in the faith-arousing Word of God? 
faith is believing God, it is responding to God, and finally this morning, it is continual amazement at God. I find this in the last verse of our story, verse 56. It says, and her parents were amazed. They were astonished. Remember, Jairus had believed, right? He had believed, at least at some level, there was confidence that Jesus could make a difference. Jairus knew that Jesus could do it, yet they were still floored when it happened. They were overwhelmed with his grace. Despite confident expectation, they still delighted in the result. It's that idea when you, are, when you are so confident that something is going to be awesome, and then when it happens, you're like, wow, yes, this is crazy good, and it never gets old. Some of you may think this is silly, but I think you can understand. How many of you have a song that just always speaks to you? God's speaking to you through that song. Music can move us. So for me, it's like when I listen to David Phelps sing Oh Holy Night live. If you want to do yourself a favor, go onto YouTube later and type that in. David Phelps, Oh Holy Night. Listen, I know the gospel truth laid out in that song, and I know the beauty with which David uses his gift to sing about it. But every time I listen to that song, I'm telling you without fail, I was here yesterday and I listened to the song just so I could prepare for this. Every time I listen to that song, that song ends and I get goosebumps and I have tears rolling down my face. Why? Because it wells up within me a holy wonder towards an almighty God. Another example, it's, at, it's like at the end of the day. It's like at the end of the day, my girls are waiting for me at home. They know I'm coming, they know I'm good for it, that I'm going to show up, and when I walk in the door, most times at least, there's an explosion of excitement. Yes, he did it, he's here, he made it, daddy. And then it's the same thing the very next day. It's like they forgot the day before that it happened. No, they didn't forget, it's continued amazement. They know it to be true. They know I'm coming home. They know I'm going to be with them. They know I'm going to show up. And yet when I do, there's still excitement every time. There's amazement. Faith is like that, friends. It is believing God to do wondrous things and yet still being amazed when that power goes on display. That is the rightful response to a magnificent holy God whose power that we could never comprehend. Why, why do you think we sing every week? We sing every week because the good news of the gospel still blows our minds. We are amazed by him. Faith is continual amazement. Believing God, responding to him, and then being amazed even when we know he's going to come through. I'm going to invite the worship team to come join me as we close today. You know, as we read these stories, the woman, the parents of the 12-year-old girl, they chose faith. They saw Jesus do a miracle. Both were made well, right? Scripture says that they were healed. There's two things I want to consider, uh, I want you to think about as you walk away with maybe knowing today. Part of choosing faith is knowing that being made well may look different for you than it does for others.
That is maybe a little bit of the heaviness that we need to recognize this morning. The truth is still the same. God is a redemptive God. Jesus restores. He reshapes through the power of his spirit. But what he chooses to restore and reshape may be your heart or it may be your mind instead of your body or your circumstances. As Pastor Dan often reminds us, he may calm the storm or he may calm the sailor, but know that he has authority to do both. I found it interesting, after the woman had been healed, Jesus looked at her. Do you remember what he said? He said, go in peace. Surely that peace was connected with her ailment being gone, but Scripture also teaches strongly that God's peace is available to us in the midst of trial and temptation, in the midst of persecution and suffering, as we trust in Him, choosing faith. The other part of choosing faith, which I hope you picked up today, is that our response of faith doesn't have to be perfect. My faith isn't perfect, at least on my own. To be authentic the hidden woman, she still received healing. Scripture says that Jesus is not just the author, but what? The perfecter of our faith. We can't perfect our faith, but Jesus does. That's the whole point, that he covers our ineptitude. So we respond to him as we trust, and he fills in the gap. So in your faith, I want to encourage you this morning. I want you to trouble the teacher. I want you to go and trouble the teacher, to just simply be with him. What posture do you need to take? One of surrender, maybe, because even when our faith is imperfect, Jesus is not. When we are imperfect, even when our faith falls short, Jesus does not. You pray with me this morning, God. We, we bring all of this to you today because we need your help. God, thank you for your word that speaks to us, that encourages us, that lays out um, the goodness of your mercy, that you, Jesus, you, you hold all authority and all power on earth to, to change and to redeem and restore. That is who you are. So God, help us. We know it's only by the power of your spirit that we're able to respond to you in faith anyways. And God, we ask for, for that movement in our hearts and our lives, that we would believe you, that we would, that we would take that step of, of belief and then obedience of responding in our belief. God, we want to know you more. We want to come to know your healing hand. Regardless of what that looks like, we know that you have yourself for us. And we want the peace that you have offer to those who are in Christ. So God, this morning, as we end our service, as we, as we sing this song of faith, may it be pleasing to you, even in our imperfection, may we, may we bring this to you and you fill in the gap for us. God, meet us in our need. We trust you because, because you're faithful to us. Be with us now as we sing. We love you, Jesus. Move amongst us today, we ask. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.